thinking about Christmas songs, what images often come to mind? Maybe for some of you, it's uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, or a sleigh ride through the snow, or, or a Christmas tree with lovely branches. And for uh, some of you more spiritual folks, you're uh, thinking of a baby in a manger, shepherds on a hillside, and angels on high. But, but let me ask you this. How many of you, when you think of Christmas, you think of a mighty king coming to save? A crucified Lord, a risen Savior. I know some of you are thinking, uh, Graham, I think you got your holidays mixed up. You're, you're thinking of, of Easter, right? I mean, Easter is when we, we sing about salvation. Christmas is about Jesus' birth in a barn, his, his beginnings on earth. That's the way many of us think when we think about Christmas, we, we think about the birth of Jesus and the, the beginnings of his earthly ministry. And when we think about Easter, we think of it as being a bit more significant spiritually. Many of us do because it's about his crucifixion and resurrection and about our salvation. And when we sing songs this time of year, we tend to like to sing songs that really focus in on the details of that night when Jesus was born and about the details surrounding that event. And I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing to focus in on that event. But the Christmas songs that I prefer are about the significance of that event. Not so much songs like Away in a Manger, No Crib for a Bed, The Little Lord Jesus Laid Down His Sweet Head, but songs like Joy to the World, The Lord Has Come, Let Earth Receive Her King, right? And Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild, God and Sinners Reconciled. And I'm sorry if I ruined Away in the Manger for, for some of you. You can let me have it during the break, okay? But, but in, in my opinion, Christmas songs like Joy to the World and, and Hark the Herald Angels Sing are better by far because Christmas is so much more than a story about a baby in a barn. It's about a king coming down and providing salvation for us. Christmas is more than the celebration of a birth, of, a, of an important historical figure. It's a celebration of our salvation that was made possible because the eternal Son of God left the riches of heaven and took on flesh and dwelt among us and lived for us and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this morning, we are going to look at another Christmas song that I really believe gets at this. And here's the thing about this song that we're going to look at from Scripture. Like the song we looked at last week, Mary's song, though you may have read this song through a time or two or maybe even studied it, this is one song that you will not hear on the radio this time of year and a song that will not be sung during our song service. But this song, like Mary's song last week, really captures the significance of this event, of the Christmas 
story. So let's look at it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We are going to tackle another large passage this week. We're going to look at verses 57 through 80 of Luke 1. And we're going to be talking about Zechariah's Christmas song. Now, some of you who remember our story from a few weeks ago and the details of that story, you're probably thinking to yourself, how can Zechariah have a Christmas song when he's unable to speak? You remember what happened with Zechariah? Remember the first part of chapter 1? He's approached by the angel Gabriel in the temple. He's told that he is going to have a son who's going to be a special son who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And, and Zechariah questions Gabriel, and he doubts God's work. And as a punishment for Zechariah's unbelief, Gabriel says, your wife is still going to have a son, but you, because of your unbelief, God is going to remove from you your ability to speak. So Zechariah is left unable to communicate verbally, yet in the latter half of Luke 1, we have this wonderful and worshipful song of praise from him. So what happens here? What happens to this reluctant and skeptical priest? How is his voice restored and what leads him to sing this wonderful, worshipful Christmas song? Well, we have our answer in verses 57 through 66. Look at it with me. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth, that's Zechariah's wife, to give birth. And she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. Let's ask the father about this, right? Inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. So, let's stop here for just a minute. I don't know this for sure. We're, we're not told this here, but my guess is, this has been a long, hard nine months for Zechariah, don't you think? The Lord has taken away his ability to speak for months on end. And, and think about this. He would have had a ton of things to say. Think about what's going on in his life. First, he's having a son. He and, he and his wife Elizabeth were old for the longest time. They were unable to have kids, though they tried and prayed about it for years, but they were unable. And we discussed a few weeks ago, though it's devastating in our society when that happens, even more so in, in this culture at this time, in this, this Jewish culture. So I'm sure he was on cloud nine. Would have, would have loved to have been able to talk with, with friends and family, but he could not. Notice in this passage that after his son is born, his neighbors and members of his own family, they're meeting with Elizabeth, they're rejoicing with her. And I'm sure Zechariah would have loved to have shared in on that, to take him part of that, in that, and, and vocalize the joy he was feeling. But he could not. I'm sure that was very difficult. Another reason... 
would have been difficult for Zacharias because of what he's been told about the child. This newborn, who everyone was rejoicing over, had a special calling on his life. And I'm sure Zechariah, a priest who knew a little something about special callings, would have loved to have shared with, with friends and family about his encounter with Gabriel and about what his son had been put on earth to do and about another special child who was to come, who his son was to direct people toward but again he could not i'm sure it was very very difficult notice here when it comes time to circumcise and name this child the neighbors and the relatives they, they wanted to name him after his father names were significant in this day but elizabeth insisted his name was to be john this completely floored those in the group friends and family they're like why would you do that you don't have anybody named john and they turn to Zechariah. They say, what say you? And he writes down, his name is to be John. And after writing that, we're told that God restores Zechariah's speech. And notice the first words out of this priest's mouth are praise to the Lord. Words of praise. Look at verses 64 through 66. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with them now Though the angel had told Zechariah that he was going to be able to speak again when these promises are fulfilled, my guess is that his relatives and friends, they might have thought his condition was, was permanent. So when his voice is restored, those who were witnessing this event, they were in awe, and, and they knew the moment after that happened that there was something very, very special about this child. Chances are good they had heard about this child. They knew that, that Elizabeth and Zechariah were, were old. They knew it was special. But when they viewed this birth in connection with Zechariah having his speech restored, they were truly convinced that this child was special. And Luke tells us in response they began to go out and spread the word that the hand of the Lord was on this family and especially with this child. And I want to draw your attention to something we learn about Zechariah here. Like I said earlier, the reason Zechariah was in this situation was because of his lack of faith. But during those months of silence, God had been working in Zechariah's heart and life, obviously maturing him. And when the opportunity presented itself to him again, he did not waste that opportunity. Remember the angel Gabriel had told Zechariah that he was going to have a son. He was to name him John. He didn't believe. He didn't trust in God's promise. But when given another opportunity, he doesn't miss the chance. He doesn't hesitate to write that name down. His name is to be John. And by saying that here, Zechariah is expressing the fact that he now believes in the message that the angel sent him. He now trusts in God's promises. He now believes that God has given him this son who will be great before the Lord. You know how I know that's where Zechariah's heart is? Because of what is recorded next for us in verses 67 through 80. 
Here Luke records for us another great song of praise. We looked at Mary's song last week. Now we turn our attention to Zachariah's Christmas song. And notice what makes this such a wonderful and worshipful song. First notice that Zachariah's song is a song of redemption. It's a song about salvation. Look at verse 68. Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, notice here that as Zechariah thinks about the arrival of his son, thinks about the coming of the Messiah, salvation is what comes to mind. And notice his great faith here. He says, God has visited and has redeemed his people. Now remember, earlier in this chapter, he questioned God's messenger, Gabriel. And here, you see how much Zechariah has matured. Jesus has not yet been born, yet he is speaking of his coming and the salvation he is going to accomplish in the past tense. He says God has visited. He has redeemed his people. That's faith. Zechariah's mentality is if God has promised it, it's as good as done. Folks, that is what faith is. It is personal and complete trust in the promises of God. That's exactly what Zechariah shows us here. So when thinking about the arrival of his son, the coming of the Messiah, redemption is what is on Zechariah's mind, and this should be where our minds go as well this time of year. When thinking about Christmas, when we think about the promise made to Joseph and Mary, and when we think about the birth and the barn in Bethlehem, when we think about Jesus' birth, his beginnings on earth, the cross should be on our minds. That is the reason Christ came. The Son of God has come. He has emptied himself. He has taken on flesh in order to save us. You're going to hear me repeat that again and again because I want you to get it. That's where your mind needs to be this time of year. One of my favorite Christmas songs is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Listen to these lyrics. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Folks, that is the reason Jesus came. He was born to set God's people free. He was born to deliver God's people from sin and death. He was, he was born to reign in us forever. That is what the Christmas story is all about. It's about redemption coming down. Rescue coming in the form of a, of a, of a baby, in the form of a Savior, the Lord Jesus. And Zechariah very much understands this, and so should we. I've said it time and time again, and I know I'll say it, Time and time again, when we think of Christmas, we need to think of the Savior who has come to free us. He's come to deliver us. He's come to release us. He has come to rule and reign in our hearts and lives. So Zechariah's song is a wonderful and worshipful song because it's a song about just that. It's a song about redemption. It's a song about salvation. It's also a song of power. 
Now, we don't often think of little babies. That's not the first thing that comes to mind is, is powerful. We think weak and helpless, which Jesus did take on limitations, right? He emptied himself, but he, he came in power to save. And we're told that here. Look at verse 69. Zechariah says, For he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. This verse here, it explains how God is going to redeem his people. He says in verse 68, God has redeemed his people. Verse 69, he explains how. How's that, Zechariah? How is he going to redeem us? Here's how. He says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now that phrase, horn of salvation, that is an Old Testament phrase used by David when he was being chased by King Saul and rescued by God. He says, God is my rock, my refuge. He is the horn of my salvation. And here Zechariah is using that phrase as a symbol of strength, like the horn of a ram. I'm a football fan. A great NFL team right now is the is the Rams. That's not normally the case. This normally wouldn't work. Uh, but, but they're good right now, so I'll use it. You, you, those of y'all that are familiar with uh, the, the Los Angeles Rams, they've got a ram on the side of their helmet. It's a sign of strength. They've got it on their, their jersey as well. That's the, the image he's using here. And, and what Zechariah is saying here is, is that God has offered up a horn of salvation. That's how God has redeemed us. He has redeemed us with strength, with power. He has, he has raised up a mighty Savior for us. So notice here that, that Zechariah's Christmas song it's a song of power. It's a song of strength. His song is not about a little Lord Jesus laying down his sweet head, but a mighty Savior, a conquering King, Jesus, the horn of our salvation. So, so Zechariah's Christmas song is a song of power. This child born in Bethlehem is the king who has come to conquer sin and death. He has come to undo the consequences of the fall. He has come to reverse the curse. He has come to accomplish our salvation forever. He has come in power. He has come in strength. He has come as our Lord. And He has come to rule and to reign. That's why those who, when they encounter this child, they bow the knee before Him. He is the King, coming in strength, coming mighty to save. And those of you who prefer emphasizing the sweetness of this event and sort of over-sentimentalizing Jesus' birth, you're hard-pressed to find that in the scriptures. What you have more often than not are verses like this here in, in Luke 169 that emphasize the power and the strength of this Savior in this Christmas story. Why? Because Christmas is about salvation. It's about God raising up a horn of salvation for us. It's about Him sending us a mighty Savior to conquer sin and death and make us right with him. So Zechariah's song is a song of power. It's also a song of fulfillment. Andy Yard addressing this in your small group in the Old Testament, looking at Christ in the Old Testament and, and some of what they're dealing with are these, these promises of, of fulfillment of, the, of King Jesus to come. So it's a song of fulfillment. 
Zechariah's Christmas song is a great song because it, it accurately shows how these events at Christmas are fulfillments of, of prophecy from long ago. The accounts of, of, of John's birth and the, the, the coming of the Messiah are, are not a series of surprising, unexpected, unforeseen events. Sometimes you'll hear songs like that. Like it was all of a sudden we didn't know that this was going to happen. No, they knew. They had been told he was coming. They had been promised a Messiah to come. Look at verse 69 again. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, that is not by accident that that's mentioned there. It's not by coincidence or random chance that King Jesus is born into the family of David. This is a direct fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7 when God promised David that one of his descendants was going to come and was going to sit on his throne forever. Zechariah here is just throwing a big highlighted sign on this saying this is Jesus. He is the fulfillment of that. He is the mighty Savior. He is God's forever King. He is the one that, that God promised David hundreds of years earlier to come and to be born into the family of David. And folks, Jesus is that fulfillment of, of that promise and also the promise that was made to Abraham as well. Look at verses 70 through 74. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. What Zechariah is saying here is that these events surrounding the coming of the Messiah into the world, which of course end in his death burial, resurrection, and ascension is a direct fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, right? These Old Testament prophecies, these, this future promise of, of mercy, the future promise of salvation for, for God's people was a promise that was made to the prophets of old that they voiced and they are fulfilled in Christ. And that certainly goes for the promise that God made to Abraham prior to the prophets. Remember in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham he was going to bless him and, and make a great nation out of him. And through that nation, all nations were going to be blessed. And then he reiterates that promise in Genesis chapter 15, in Genesis chapter 17, in Genesis chapter 22, just so they get it and don't forget it. And here in Luke chapter 1, Luke is recording this song of Zechariah where Zechariah is reminding them of these events again. Jesus coming into the world and the coming of Zechariah's son is a direct fulfillment of Scripture. Christ's coming is a direct fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. And this is not the only time in the New Testament that this is mentioned. We're reminded of it time and time again because God doesn't want us to forget it. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises of old. And guess what? We are seeing ongoing fulfillment of the work that Jesus accomplished that was promised to Abraham and David and others. We're seeing that 
fulfilled today. We are seeing ongoing fulfillment of the nations being blessed. Just look around this room today. This room is filled with believers who have been blessed through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're seeing ongoing fulfillment of that as the gospel goes out in the mission work we're involved in here in this community and beyond. We're seeing the nations be blessed through the work of Christ, the Son of David, Son of Abraham, the eternal Son of God. So I, I love that Zechariah's song addresses the fact that this Christmas story, it's an old story. It goes all the way back to the beginning. God told Adam and Eve in the garden on the hills of the fall that through the seed of the woman, not the seed of Adam, the words are, are, are the way that they are for a reason, through the seed of the woman, through this virgin born named Mary, there was going to come one who was going to crush the enemy for good. Genesis chapter 3, first book of the Bible, third chapter. First mention of the gospel. Amen? Zechariah is acknowledging this. So the Christmas story is a story of Fulfillment. It's a story of, of God's faithfulness to us. But get this, it's also a story that reminds us that just as God has been faithful to us, we are to in turn be faithful to Him. You want some application here? Zechariah is about to give it. Look at Zechariah 1, 74 through 75. He says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, he's talking about those who are, who are saved through this great work, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah is clear here that while God has been faithful to provide salvation for us, he has done that so that we in turn would be faithful to him and live our lives for him all of our days. Now, while we don't have to, to even question how God is doing in his faithfulness to us, we're, we're, we're seeing that. We see that throughout Scripture. A question we do need to ask ourselves is, how are we doing in faithfulness to him? That's a question you need to answer personally. And you're going to deal with that question this week in your study guide that you received in the bulletin on the way in. So, Go through those questions. Deal with this, your, your faithfulness toward God. You've been saved. God's been faithful to you through sending his son so that you might be saved, so that you might have life abundantly, and so that you might live your life to the full for him and for his glory. So Zechariah's song is a song of redemption. It's a song of power. It's a song of fulfillment, and lastly, it is a song centered on Christ. Look at verses 76 through 80. And you, child, now Zechariah is turning his attention toward his son. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. We're getting a little window into the work that Zechariah's son's going to do. We're going to get more into this at the beginning of the next year when we look at uh, Luke chapter 3. We're going to talk a lot about John's ministry and his message. But we get a little window of it here. He says, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. 
to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. He is going to preach repentance and he is going to preach of, of the coming of the Savior, right? Jesus coming to accomplish salvation and, and provide forgiveness of sins and restoration to God. That's going to be his message. That's going to be his ministry to prepare the hearer's hearts for the coming of the Lord who is going to bring salvation. Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Boy, it's merciful that God sent Christ. Amen. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Don't you love that? Boy, I underline that. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, amen, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Christ is coming, the light of the world. He's going to light up this dark and dead world, and he's going to make peace between sinful man and holy God. And the child grew. And became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Boy, we're going to look at that. It's an awesome ministry in Luke chapter 3. So notice here that Zechariah finally gets around to answering this question that everyone was asking about his son. Remember, they were asking about his child. What kind of child is this going to be? What, what role does God have for him? And notice here, instead of Zacharias just throwing all the focus on to his son and say, well, as for my son, you know, my son's going to be great. He's going to be great before the Lord. He's going to be one of the greatest prophets ever. He's going to play a pivotal role in God's kingdom story. Instead, notice that Zechariah does what his son does later on in ministry and what his wife did when she was with Mary. He, he deflects the focus away from himself and he redirects the focus toward the Savior. And when he finally gets around to talking about his son, notice what he says about him. He doesn't say he's a highly exalted prophet, but rather the prophet of the Most High. He doesn't say, my son's going to do great things. He says, my son is going to prepare the way for the great one, the mighty Savior. He says, he will give light to those who sit in darkness. He will guide our feet into the way of peace by pointing toward the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, says here, this story is not ultimately about me. It's not ultimately about my son. It's all about Jesus. He says the only special thing about my son is the fact that he is going to direct people toward the great one, the mighty Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, like we said last week with Mary, Zachariah, like his wife Elizabeth, like his son, John is not all about Zachariah. He's all about Jesus. And folks, the application, again, for us is very, very simple. Are you all about you or are you all about Jesus? We're to be all about Jesus, especially at Christmas, but throughout our life. We're to be all about him. We have a tendency 
to focus all of our, our, our energy toward ourselves and our loved ones this time of year. We tend to put all of our energy into, into family and kids over Christmas. And you should spend some time and, and energy toward them. But first and foremost, our, our focus is to be Christ. It's a shame that this season is to be all about Him. Yet some of us were so busy in the craziness of Christmas that it just passes us by without us even really thinking about Him. Zachariah's focus here is on point because it's on Jesus. Though people are asking about his son, he chooses to focus on God's son. May that be said of us all the time. I pray that our lives would not be an arrow pointing to us, but pointing to him. That needs to be our life. Let's start right now. This Christmas, make your focus Jesus. Make that your life's focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, man, to be honest with you, my focus has never been Jesus because you don't know him. You haven't experienced this peace that he came to bring through his person and work. You're not trusting in that work alone for your salvation. If this is you, I pray this changes this morning. Folks, whether you like it or not, whether our world likes it or not, this is what Christmas is all about. It's the story of salvation. It's the story of God fulfilling a promise he made from the beginning that he was going to redeem a fallen world and a broken people by sending his son. It's the story of God the Son, Jesus, taking on flesh, living for us in our place. It's the story of Him living the perfect life for us that we could never live and dying the death we deserve to die, conquering sin and death through His death, burial, and resurrection so that we, through faith alone in Him alone, could be forgiven of sin and restored to a right relationship with Almighty God. That is the gospel message that is the message of Christmas for those of you here this morning who have yet to forsake your sin who have not placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today's the day now's the time to do that for those of you all who are trusting in Christ this is your story for those of you who are not this could be your story this morning if you would step up off your own throne and bow your knee to King Jesus, give your life up and over to him. If you have not, make him Lord and be saved today. Let's pray.